Clay, if you find yourself at a party uh, with new people, you're at a, dinner, mm-hmm. a fancy dinner party because we're 40 now at this point, and you, you're meeting your uh, girlfriend or wife's co-worker who works in the department, and you're trying to figure out what you can latch on to uh, to initiate some kind of conversation. Do you, have any, do you have any icebreakers that you go with? I generally ask if the other person has any icebreakers they go with. Oh, Spin it around. No, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I I don't. Um, I ask. I ask where. I ask. It's either what they. It's nothing creative. It's either what they do for work or if they live around here. Sort of like right. If you're if yeah. you're a local or do you have any kind of job? Uh, and normally the job comes back as a totally uninteresting answer. Uh, the location thing is kind of interesting because then you can kind of branch off into something off of that. But no, nothing. Nothing spectacular. I, uh, if it's one-on-one, it's usually one of those things. But if it's like a couple people, I usually kind of like hang back and wait for my, my moment to just kind of like throw one over the top and get myself in that way. Yeah. You mentioned you that know, you do I, a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't come up. You know who brings that up all the time is is Murphy. Murphy always throws that at me when we're like talking to people. And yep. I'm like, you know what? I, I think I think he does it to try and to try and uh, uh, you know rib me a little bit, but yeah. almost every time he does it, the person comes back with, "Oh man, I love stuff. That's so cool." I'm like, yeah, <laughs> great. And then you I start mean, talking technical about bit rates and stuff like that, and the whole night is shot. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I I'm actually I'm uh, uh, I'm the worst at at leaving a conversation. I'm terrible at it. I'm really bad. Yeah, like if I'm at a party and I'm talking to someone, I do not know. A, when to bail, and B, how to do it without it seeming like I'm bailing. I don't like saying goodbye. I'm a big fan of the Irish goodbye, which is just to leave a party without saying goodbye to people. I, I sure. find goodbyes incredibly awkward at parties, and I don't like – I'm never offended if someone just leaves without saying goodbye to me. It's yeah. like it's like good for you. Like <laughs> Grab the bull by the horn and get out of here. Yeah, um, my girlfriend and I end up end up doing we, – we have an equally bad habit of go, doing like, okay, let's go. And then it's a half an hour later before we actually leave because we have to say bye to everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I seek out the host. That's that's pretty much it. Be like, thank you for having us. But like, you, you <laughs> what, have to, what do you want a quest? You or something? To, well, because you, you have to wait till they're alone. I Other- seek out the host. <laughs> you have to wait till they're alone. Otherwise, you have to say goodbye to everyone that they're with, who's like within earshot of you. So it's yeah. it's trying to find them at a uh, in a, a timely manner and get out of there and time your whole you know, I hit- expedition. I, t- I try to hit like three or four and then I do a general. I'm very tall, so I'm usually like up above everybody. So I usually do like a blanket, see you guys later in a, yeah. in a loud, booming voice, and that usually covers it for me. Just wave down at them like a, a Greek god on Olympus and say, see you guys <laughs> later. Um, I don't think I had anything else. Oh, just my, my final thing there is just um, I do try to occasionally, if I'm in a, a semi, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous, but like a semi uh, playful or confident mood, I will. <laughs> Do the Larry David trick that he doesn't curb occasionally, which he always makes fun of. Is like he he tries to skip small talk with people, and he asks, <laughs> asks them like a very a sort of like unusual question or something because he does, he's like enough right. with small talk. Like he's like, what do you? He, I think in the episode he asked someone like what they make uh, annually. I was just say how much money? Do you yeah, make? It's how much yeah. money do they make? And because he, he's like, well, it's more interesting than anything else. But uh, I find that doesn't go well with strangers. Strangers, strangers, <laughs> not not asking them about money, but strangers don't like unusual questions. I find, which is kind of weird uh, to me anyway. But I always, it it always backfires and it never goes successful. So maybe I should stop doing it. But I, I would always like if someone asked me a weird question. <laughs> Do you you're just willing to throw around throw around your numbers or how much you pay for your house? <laughs> 
It's a square footage here. Everybody listening to this, tweet at Wes and ask him very inappropriate questions about finances and, uh, you know, just personal property. <laughs> We're not at a party unless this is uh, PenskeCon 2020 or whatever, which is not happening Twitter's, because of coronavirus. Twitter's one big party, man. Let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip from the episode Breaking the Ice, and then we'll come back and we'll break it down. Well, we decrypted the message. And? It's not exactly what we expected. It's a letter. What did it say? It's personal. What do you mean? Very personal. Oh. You could order me to tell you, sir, but you wouldn't be happy if I did. Why the hell was it encrypted? That's what I want to know. Maybe Vulcans encrypt all their personal letters. All they had to do was send it through regular channels, mark it personal, and we left it alone. But no, they had to encrypt it, force me to start snooping. I feel like I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. All right, so this is Breaking the Ice. It is the eighth episode of the first season of Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, my goodness, the thunderstorms are coming, Clay. Uh, This was written by Maria Jacometin and Andre Jacometin, directed by Terry Wendell. In-universe date is unknown. In this episode, with a Vulcan ship on their tail, Enterprise decides to investigate a comet. So here we are to talk about this one, Clay. This is Mm. a... um, this is a, a strange episode to me in a lot of ways. I, I guess we can start with, is the is Travis and Malcolm on the comet potentially, this might sound outrageous, but is it potentially the worst Star Trek storyline that's ever happened? Um, it's, so, I don't, no, it's not the worst. What it is, and the, what this show continues to be, is it's very workmanlike. Everything about this episode is just workmanlike action. And I actually I actually really like this episode. <laughs> I, I like this episode too. I find that 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 the, but that them walking on the comet to me is like the the strange weakest point of this whole yeah. thing where it's like it only exists to set up the ending but it's so bizarrely pointless the entire way through. Right. Yeah, the uh the strange thing about it is, you know, you've got it, you've you've got a, a, an episode that already really has an A plot and a B plot. So the the uh, Travis and Malcolm on the the asteroid or, or comet is is ostensibly a C plot, and where other shows would use this opportunity to uh, you know tell a story with the action that's happening, these guys are literally just doing a job. There's no larger. Um, story to be told there's no larger action happening there's there's not even like there's not even anything that they really talk about down there it is all in service explicitly so they can fall into a hole even when he breaks his leg or hurts his knee or something yeah that's like not even really that necessary no. it just needs to slow <laughs> just, them down he makes it to the shuttle pod again like there's and he's like well he's dragging them back he's like oh uh let's bring the ice too because that's important yeah to bring back. he's like oh, oh okay, gotcha gotcha it's yeah. I, the strangest thing about it for me was that I was watching it, and as as he hurts his knee, as they start walking back, I was going like, you know, I think I'd like this better if they just completed their mission with no problem. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, because as soon as he hurts his knee, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. And then they start walking, and I'm like, nothing has happened yet. Like, the, the, the ice hasn't broken up, and it's like so late in the episode that it doesn't feel it, it it it's a it's immediately clear what's going on 
Um, <clears throat> but I'm watching it going like, yeah, I kind of wish they would just get to the su- shuttle and get back to the to the Enterprise yeah. and just have their job be done. Roll the credits with like no con- a, yeah. a conflictless uh, story. Because the the thing that made me realize that uh, as it was happening that it was a really strange Star Trek plot line was that um, when Archer's having dinner with the Vulcan captain, I was like. No one's even concerned about Malcolm and Reed. Like their their right. job is so boring, and what they're doing is so standard that it's not even the focus of the other characters' plot lines in what they're mm-hmm. doing. It's it's mm-hmm. really strange. Like in a TNG movie or a TNG episode or whatever, the other characters would be reacting to what was going on on the comet. Like there would be some kind of story device going on there. But here they're right. just like, yeah, you know, call us back when you're done. Otherwise, we'll see you later. Like we're gonna go have dinner and not talk about it. Yeah, the, the strangest thing about it is what they ultimately use the the uh, comet plot for is this catalyst for Archer begrudgingly accepting the help of the Vulcans. Yeah, which all happens in the last five minutes, maybe even less than five minutes of the show. Because I think I paused it at a certain point. There was like four and a half minutes left, and they hadn't even shot the thing down to try and pick him up yet. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I think. The point that the, the 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 reason that they're doing that, the story they're trying to tell, I think would be much better served if the uh, the problem on the comet happens a lot earlier, right? Because the stuff with Archer and Captain Vulcan, who's Varric, Varric, Varric I will look it up. I do not Veritech? know off the top of my head. <laughs> Veritech, right? <laughs> He's got a big glove in the face. Where is the? Are yeah, there any the, characters the here? He was the captain, Veritech. Uh, it's Vanek, um, Captain Vanek. Vanek, Vanek. Okay, uh, yeah. The whole the uh, the stuff with Vanek um, is so limited at the end, and everything that comes before it. While I enjoyed it quite a bit for some reason, like I really liked that that dinner scene. Yeah, um, it seems in service of nothing other than Archer just kind of being annoyed. And so if they had if they had set up this this problem that required the Vulcans to help solve earlier, you would have had more time for Archer to stew about it. You would have had more time for there to be some conflict between the two sides and whatnot. And and in this one, it's just they've got these other two plots. They've got the uh, the Vanek thing and the Tapal thing going at the same time uh, that they kind of don't really have enough time to 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 give the the comet thing. Uh, as much space as it probably needs. Yeah. I, um, I, I like this episode quite a bit. I don't, I'm kind of with you in that it's, I, I'm not really sure why, because I think that it's, I I have a theory. I think it's fairly messy in a lot of ways, but to me, what, what I came away from watching it was, I thought it was maybe the most like human Star Trek episode I've ever seen. Mm. It was, it was really, taking advantage of the setting here where these are basically modern day humans in in a way and just the um like the smallness of the plots was really interesting like trip feeling bad that he read the letter by accident and them making a video to send back to kids on earth who are like amazed that people are going into deep space at this point yeah. and <laughs> if if this were me in the writers room I'd be like well I know the first scene we can cut to put more plot into this uh, we can- <laughs> But at the same time, if you if you cut that scene, I think you lose what makes the episode kind of interesting and right. unique about yes. it. it. It was a really, 
I was just really struck by it felt like a really solid Enterprise episode because mm. it dealt with the Vulcans in a fairly effective way that I don't think they've done really. Like even even the Andorian incident, I don't think is as good as this episode because the Andorian incident, while it does deals with the Vulcans a little bit, is not like the conflict that I see the show having with the Vulcans at this point. Right, and right. I just I just. It was like a really mellow, low-key, enjoyable episode that the only strange thing was that Comet sequence. I just didn't understand that. But other than that, I really liked it. Yeah. My my theory about why I and possibly you find it so satisfying is that it is a – for as low-key as everything is and how low the stakes are, it is a pretty hard sci-fi story. If you're if you're going if you're looking at like explicitly what science fiction is, um, this is it. Mm-hmm. It's it's dealing with uh, diplomatic relations uh, between two species that don't quite don't quite trust each other. At least one half doesn't doesn't. Uh, you've, you're dealing with going onto a comet to to mine for some mineral that'll help. Iceium or something. They call it. They call it yeah, something Iceum. funny too. It's like Iceium, yeah. <clears throat> Froze, <laughs> Um And it and you've got the thing where they're where they're sending stuff back to Earth, which you know, for a hard sci-fi show, I call bullshit on them having all those drawings. How do you get mail on the Enterprise? Yeah, unless 3D, they printed, 3D printed them out. Yeah, but why would they need a printer? I don't know. Anyway, they took um, some poop and they re-materialized <clears throat> yeah. it into a printer. <laughs> I wish he had finished his thing where he was like, it turns itself into anything like, you know, uh, pieces we could build with or paper. Actually, all those drawings you sent, we printed them on pieces of shit. <laughs> he's just like, he's chewing on a pen while he's explaining it. He's just like, you turn this uh, shit into anything, paper, pen, whatever you got. And then it breaks in his mouth like Ernest goes to jail, which is one of the funniest scenes <laughs> ever. Um, but yeah, it's 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 oddly... A very satisfying hard sci-fi story without there really being any conflict. Like there's not like capital C conflict. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there's interesting. It's not the comet. It's not saving them from the comet for forty minutes. No, I mean yeah. even they even got me. I I even wanted to know what was in her damn letter. I usually mm-hmm. don't care about that shit, but like they they played that well enough where it was like it's a good twist that it turns out to be a personal thing. Um, and then they don't mention what it is for a while. And when they do bring up what it is, eh, yeah, you could kind of guess that had something to do with it. I, it was either a, a parent dying or something like this, some sort of uh, relationship thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but once they do bring it up, it brings to the forefront this the fact that T'Pol actually wants to be there and actually believes in their mission despite the coldness that she, uh, uh, that she presents to everybody on the ship. Yeah. And I... I like them focusing on – I think it's a good schism between humans and Vulcans where – I don't even know if it really makes sense for the Vulcans, but I think it makes, makes sense in the context of the uh, the series that uh, she has that argument about she's doing what she does for culture and tradition and that the mm-hmm. humans don't really respect that. And Tripp's argument is obviously that they're doing it for – uh, yourself. It's the kind of like the individualistic thing and the Vulcans are taking over more of the uh, like – traditional conservative opinion i guess that the culture mm-hmm. is preeminent in that kind of stuff and um it's a neat little schism between the two of them and i think that it's fairly effective i think that the episode maybe stumbles a little bit in portraying that conflict between them um mostly because i don't think we've gotten enough of to at this point to really get a good sense right. of her but i 
I even think I, I even like the fact that it ends with her eating a piece of pie as kind of like a right. no yeah. words said. It's like, oh, she's kind of moving away from this. Uh, you know, it's a very like it's it's almost a play on um, sort of very regressive uh, Earth culture type thing. The Vulcans aren't really that because they're kind of this like high uh, superiority complex thing, but they have a very. Mm-hmm. They have a very, like, with arranged marriages, you don't think of that in a Western sense. You think of that as, like, kind of a repressive, um, a repressive culture tends to believe in arranged marriages like that. And it's, you know, as Tripp says, it's not really what we're doing. But the Vulcans embracing it kind of makes sense, kind of doesn't, but I think it works well enough where I don't really question it. I think it works for the episode and it works for their characterization. Yeah, I think it works for them because, I mean, it's, you know, I think I think you can kind of see the 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 line of thinking that brought them to that the writers to that point where it's like well you know they don't really they're 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 trained to uh repress emotions right they so wouldn't have an emotional love, connection yeah <clears throat> yeah love probably isn't a isn't a big thing on vulcan so how do they propagate you know how do they continue to reproduce well well there's arranged marriages and i i do like that they still work in that you got to spend a, a year together before <laughs> you guys can just fuck off <laughs> I mean, like, if you want to get super stupid about canon, which I'm just going to do as a devil's advocate thing, Sarek didn't seem to have that belief. So something must change, right? Where Sarek well, was he also, humans. yeah, he also. I mean, that in and of itself is a is a break from culture. So clearly, he was not too concerned with it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just like the. I, I agree that I really like the letter aspect. I think they play that really well in a way that's like it builds very satisfyingly. But you're not. It never feels cheap that no one is just saying what's in the letter. Like there's a good reason for no one to be discussing it. Um, and it just it comes it comes. I, I like the scene with Tapal talking to her. She's like, I have many letters. Would you like to come to my quarters and read the rest yes. of my letters? Yes. <laughs> I thought it was great when he came in uh, to talk to her, and he's like, "Why did you choose me?" And he, she just like. You are not my first choice. <laughs> but it's very logical. She can't tell anybody else about it. So right. It's, yeah, right. It's, it's really good. But, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. It is kind of a weird thing to hide. You know, it's like, what? Why is it that big of a deal? You know, it's. For Vulcans, it's also strange to hide things like that because she would feel no shame about it or she should not feel any kind of shame about it. And which yeah. is, you know, I, I don't know if I'm. I don't know. It's the same with like Vulcans. Well, I, I guess it kind of fits in the, with the Vulcans not really wanting to share personal information. Like that's kind of well, a human trait. I don't. I don't know. Trip even kind of call, he calls her on it and says what I assume everybody watching the episode would say, which is like, "Why didn't you just stamp personal on it? We wouldn't even have bothered to look at it." Right. And I don't. Re- I don't remember what her answer is. But she I, says it I takes like too long. Takes too long. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Which is yeah. Which is I think that's a writer's out right there. There's not a particularly yeah. good reason. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I did enjoy this. I I just I really like the smallness. I like I thought that Archer's characterization here is good. Like this is to me, we've complained about Archer in previous episodes, but I think that Bakula and the writing here does it. Like this is a version of Archer where I can understand him making decisions that he makes that way. Like the. Mm-hmm. I think that they just play his frustration with the Vulcans really well. That dinner scene is really well done. I think that everyone is totally in character for what that should be. Uh, mm. The sort of prick of a Vulcan captain who is befuddled by the way humans do it. And I don't think that he's wrong to this point. Like if, he was, if he's been tailing them and he's watched Archer, he's watched Ar- Archer make some strange decisions in the past couple episodes yes. that they've been tailing yeah. him. So his final line about... Your arrogance and your impatience, or whatever he says, is going to be are your greatest enemies. I'm not your enemy. 
he's actually not wrong, really. And I, I, I just think that's really kind of cute. And I think that the way that they turn it around where Archer going to him for help is actually the way to impress the Vulcan. It's right. not that the Vulcan right. wants him to do it, to sort of grovel in front of him. It's that he doesn't think the human will do it. So doing it proves him wrong, which is interesting. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I wish they would do more of. Up to, I mean, hopefully they continue doing it, but that, like, that's the kind of thing I want to see from from this character. Is he's got this <clears throat> brash exterior that, that's you know he, it's his way or the highway, but then he ultimately has to make a decision that goes against what he thinks is the right thing to do, and then that thing ends up that new thing ends up being the right thing to do, and he has now learned a lesson from that. Um, and you know, you don't, they don't have to hit you over the head with it. I don't think they really do that in this episode. No. Um, but that's the kind of thing I want to see where it's like, you know, you have to, this new, the new starship, the, the first Starfleet captain has to learn what it means to be a Starfleet captain. And part of that is trusting, you know, your allies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and not giving them the keys, giving you their biggest enemies, the keys to the, uh, <laughs> to the brewery. <laughs> I, yeah, we've. We've talked about it for previous episodes. I, I just think that this one does the best job of realizing what Archer's done. And it also, it gets around it in kind of a cute way where I was talking about last episode, how you can't really show Archer being wrong, particularly, but you, mm. or at least Star Trek doesn't want him, in my opinion, to seem that he's wrong. Here they do a good thing of, he learns his lesson, but it's also the solution that makes him seem intelligent at the same time. So it's it's kind of the best of both worlds in that sense of, how you get a Star Trek type characterization while also staying true to the premise of the series. And um, it's good. It's cute. And it, it's, I think that they they did a really good job of even after it's all over, the Vulcan is still a dick to them. Like, yes, <laughs> you know, yes. like they aren't all of a sudden friends and be like, well, Captain Vanek, I hope to see you again. And he says, me too. Let me tell you some personal information before I leave because I've learned from the humans. He's really just like, well, you know, stay out of trouble. I'll see you guys later. Yeah. Uh, thanks for thanks for our dinner. Do you guys have a holodeck technology by any chance? Yeah, we got this tractor beam. Can we trade you? <clears throat> yeah, um, he's. I, I I I really like that dinner scene. First of all, I think Archer is totally within his right to be pissed off because who shows up to a dinner and having already eaten <laughs> other than someone who is trying to be a dickhead it also doesn't seem very logical it's not the, the rational decision to waste the food or something yeah yeah didn't save room uh, for but, dessert no pie no uh but yeah i i like that scene because again they do these small scenes really well i think they do the character stuff better than they do the action so far yeah um <clears throat> you get a lot of stuff out of that scene that isn't big star trek stuff like even where he's like he's he's doing his best to be uh uh conscientious and be a nice host and and vanek is just shutting him down at every turn where he's like well you know uh i'm sure you know i'd love to give you a tour i'm sure you'd love to check the ship out and he's like no this uh this is a pretty shitty ship yeah He's uh he like he pulls his inner Cobain when he's like you're very easily amused right here. I, I wish I was easily <laughs> amused just like you or whatever, which is a an epic burn to him. He refuses the iced tea. Um, obviously doesn't which want to is be also there. which is a great burn, but it's also great coming from the the Vulcans because that is a a, a culture thing that doesn't doesn't uh you know translate because yeah no nobody wants to see the fucking ship but you you offer to take give them a tour and they say yes i'd love to see a tour that's just like being yeah. polite yep. at a dinner party or something um unless i mean do you also do that at dinner parties when people are like do you want a tour and you're like no i have no interest in your own. 
<laughs> that's the other Larry David bit I can steal. But no, I don't. I don't have the balls to do that. I will go on the tour with them. Unfortunately, yeah. It reminds me. <laughs> that reminds me. Uh, did you ever watch? You didn't really watch the American Office, right? Uh, not enough. To, I, I've I've seen like dinner. I know the dinner party episode. If you're going to bring well, that one up. No, there's a different uh, episode where they go to a, a dinner party at uh at like the head of the company's house. Yep. And um um Dwight and I think somebody else are given the tour and Dwight spends the tour essentially giving the house a home inspection. Yeah. So while <laughs> while they're being like this is the bathroom and he's like going in and like leaning on the poles and like checking the pipes and stuff and going into the basement to check the water pressure and all, all that kind of stuff. Yep, yep. Got some uh, cracking in the caulking up here. You're going to want to see exactly. that. Yep, exactly. That's the kind of stuff that he, that he says at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, what the hell was I going to say? I, was, uh, I mean, I think that the Vulcan turning down the tea, the tea thing is nice because it is probably more rational just to drink water <laughs> than to drink sugary <laughs> uh, tea water and stuff like that. I'm personally trying to just drink more water than uh, drinking uh, milk and juice and stuff like that. But the Vulcans would probably have that nailed down. I think that works for them. The, there's no excuse for the eating dinner beforehand. That's just a that's just a slap in the face to your host. Yeah, yeah. I I've noticed um, th- that that Paul has no problem eating and drinking with the with them anymore, which is a nice yep. little bit of uh, uh, character change. Yeah. I actually part of me was expecting they were going to cut to the dinner scene, and Archer and and Trip were going to be eating whatever they were eating, and Vanek was just going to have two breadsticks in front of him <laughs> that he was trying to cut with the, cut with the, the knife. knife. Yeah, that'd be. I the one thing that surprised me about the episode I didn't really remember it was that I was, um, especially because after the dinner scene, he st- the captain storms out and he says something in Vulcanese to to Paul, and mm. I. I was assuming, I don't know if you're the same, that they were in a relationship or something. Like that oh. he was the relationship that was messaging her from that ship. No, that actually didn't occur to me. I was expecting what he said to her to come back. But uh, does wait, not. Did, does, does, do we find out what he says? I, I don't think remember. so. No, I, I can't remember it ever meaning anything or her explaining what it meant. I think Trip asks. He says, what, he says what, did she, what did he say? And she doesn't respond and walks out. Oh, okay. Yeah, then I, I was expecting that to have a little bit more resonance, but uh, apparently not. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't have been surprised given what the letter was about if it turned out to be like her dad or something. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> but as far as him being like the betrothed, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that or anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I could have also seen father or some kind of or a, a role that was he was calling her back from the enterprise for whatever reason to say like you've you've wasted enough time with these humans. Uh, it's time to come back and start your science studies or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, outside outside of that, I just thought it was a charming little episode. I I like the fact how they deal with the Vulcans. I like the sort of just the. Even the idea of discovering a very big comet is like a great early Star Trek idea. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing blow your socks off or blow your hair back about that storyline, right? They're just like, this is the biggest comet we've ever seen. We should go look (laughs) at it. And it feels like it's appropriate. Yeah. I I really liked that it was a giant comet that, you know, uh, gave Archer a boner because nobody else had ever discovered it before. Yeah. The Vulcans hadn't found this this comet with their dirty Vulcan fingers. That's right. I 
I, I must have lost track of how much time passed between when they found it, when the, when the Vulcans showed up. Cause when the Vulcans, when he's like, yeah, we just found this giant comet. And the Vulcan was like, I know we found it on our sensors. Two days ago. <laughs> I thought, I thought that was supposed to be him like undercutting the fact that, that he, that Archer was the first one to discover it. But I think the timing might've been off. But, uh, I, I really like that it's just they find this giant comet. It's the biggest comet ever recorded. It's got this stuff inside it, so they got to go drill, and they use this explosive to to make a crater that they can drill through. Yeah, and the explosion knocks starts the uh, comet on like a spinning or something. Very sunshine, very from the movie Danny Boyle's Sunshine, where the thing is turning into the sun too quick, right, and they got to yeah. get out of there. Yeah, and so they're dealing with a very science fictiony you know capital s capital f science fictiony problem um that uh you know it that's kind of why i was hoping nothing else was really going to happen because i was like i don't know this, this is uh, mundane and fairly fairly satisfying for how mundane it is yeah now it's got me thinking about like they didn't they didn't go down there and one of them got like a uh mind controlling worm in their nose or something it's yeah, just they or, went down to do their job and one of them twisted his ankle <laughs> right or they go down and they find the vulcans already down there doing something and then they get tied up and they're like the vulcans explain their plot to them or something it's really just very um very simple oh yeah. like it's so simple it's interesting in its simplicity that i i really can't think of another start like i I was with you that I was hoping that that comet thing would eventually lead to nothing because I think I've mentioned, like, if you play Kino and you guess 15 numbers and you don't get any of the numbers right, you win because it's very difficult to not predict any numbers that are coming up mm-hmm. when you have 15. I, mm-hmm. I was kind of thought it was going to be that thing. Like, it's just impressive that it's going on for so far, for so long without ever landing on something. But eventually they do uh, what apparently this episode was, or this series was designed to do, which is to get every... Uh, episode have a shuttle fall into a hole for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, they really love to do that, and I, I think it's just kind of silly at this point. What do, what do you think about the um, the grapplers too? Instead of a tractor beam, uh, I I think it's I like it because I continue to like how uh, behind the times the NX01 is compared to everybody else. Yeah, it feels too behind the times for me. Yeah. Like also, you know, as much as I talk about how silly it is that when they have two ships on screen, they're like within 25 feet of each other. Yeah. The distance you would have to get to that comet in order to fire those things accurately is like unbelievably well, close. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking, why don't they have a small shuttlecraft that flies it out and sticks it to something? You know, like, why do you have to shoot it like it's a gun? Oh, sure. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, I mean, your, your point is too, like they... If you're just like, there's really nothing more high tech than they're shooting a harpoon in space onto something. It just, it feels, mm-hmm. it feels almost like um, superhero-y or something. Like if it just hits, it sticks to anything, and they just fire this thing, and it sends out a little rope, and they can pull it along. I I understand right, that they right. didn't want to. They wanted to show like proto tractor beam technology, but it doesn't feel right for this franchise. I don't think. Yeah, I think that would have been kind of interesting to have like a little, like one of those uh, those underwater things that, that the they, deep sea they steer from the yeah yeah that'd be yeah. kind of fun, you know. And I was just thinking about it. I think what I was expecting from that whole uh, plot, and why I was kind of bummed out that it ended up being a uh, ship falls in the whole thing, is because I was expecting the <clears throat> the Vulcan th- plot to culminate. Um, 
around the core sample that they were taking. Yeah. Like I thought it was it was going to be something like they bring it back to the ship and Archer gloats about it, but then he decides that giving the core sample to the Vulcans because they really needed it would be a sign of respect or blah, 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 or something like that. I was looking forward to something kind of mundane like that. So when it ended up being like, up, oh, here comes the sun, oh, he twisted his knee and fell in a hole. They go hey. back for it. They go back for the sample, which, it, right. which outside yeah. Well, you of- have to, because if you don't go back for it, then the entire reason they went there is just completely pointless. But it's so, <laughs> it's so interesting that... They go back for it, but it's something that doesn't matter narratively. It only matters right. in this universe that they are completing their job. It's it's like they right. in terms of the narrative, if if they never if he dropped it and they never mentioned it, nothing changes about this story at all. Yeah, it's it's not the holy grail at the end of uh final uh, last crusade mm. where it's, you know, leaving it behind is is the choice of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is very funny where he's, he drops it and he's hurt his knee. And you could yes. almost—they could almost have shot that to framed it, where like he is just standing over, but he can't bend over to pick it up, and he's like the sample. Yeah, we have to get the sample. That's, it's so hilarious because he's like, ah, uh, and he's like, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm. You know, honestly, I'm. I'm fine. We should probably. We just gotta grab this thing and then let's go. I think I'm. It's. It's. It's not so bad that I can't move. It's just a little inconvenient. Thought it was worse really. when so, I came down. Thought it was worse when I came yeah. down. It's okay. Thought I, I. Thought I heard a pop, but I think I'm good. <laughs> Might have been the ice breaking underneath my foot here. Yeah, it, it is very, very, uh, very funny. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to say about this one? Uh, I was just watching up? Michael Jordan documentaries, so I've been really sensitive about my, my ligaments. That's, but that, uh, that is his flew away mission right there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think, I think I've, uh, yeah, I think we covered pretty much everything. Well, final thoughts, and the patrons will probably spur up some uh, stuff that maybe we've forgotten about a plot line or two, but I don't think so. So we'll take a break play a quote from the episode and then we'll come back read our patron thoughts give our final thoughts about breaking the ice let's try it again captain they're moving out of the sunlight the surface ice is recrystallizing in less than an hour that chasm will be sealed up again then we'd better hurry there is another option captain vanek i'd rather leave him out of this his ship has a tractor beam it won't be affected by the icilium reset the grappler Vanek offered to assist us. There's no shame in accepting. We can do this on our own. I don't like him any more than you do, Captain. But a tractor beam sounds like a pretty good idea right now. Vanek expects you to refuse his offer. He sees humans as arrogant, prideful. Why not prove him wrong? You can save them. Or you can let your pride stand in the way. You're human. You're free to choose. All right, everybody. So thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the content today. If you did, the best way to support the show is patreon.com slash the Penske file, patreon.com slash the Penske file. We've had a whole bunch of patrons sign up. I don't know if Enterprise has spurred something, but uh, very uh, generous of people, a lot of signups. So it's really appreciated. Welcome. Thanks. Yeah, Thank you to everyone new who's been uh, signing up and thank you for supporting the show. It means a lot. Uh, I can not- buy. Uh, I can finally buy. You know, I, I searched. I did one Google for uh, uh, workout resistance bands, mm. and now I all my Facebook and Instagram are all resistance band ads. Yeah. from like fifteen different companies, <laughs> and I every now and then I'll click on the comments <laughs> to see what people are saying, and most of them are saying, "So is this a scam or not?" Because I ordered mine six months ago and they haven't arrived. Oh no! Yeah, that's no. you know that's what's really depressing is that. We're getting to the point where these ads are getting so good, but they are all for scams and like shitty things. Yeah. And it's like it 
it's they no longer become useful ads. You know, I, I've bought stuff off of internet like Facebook ads before, and I've had no problem with it. But every now it seems like more and more of them are just turning into scan. Like I, I saw this thing on Instagram. Sorry for this tangent, but um, I saw this thing on Instagram for this this leather jacket company mm. that was going out of business. And so all of their jackets were like super cheap. And I was looking at them like, oh, these are pretty nice jackets. And then I did some research into them. And A, they're not real leather, even though it says they are. Yeah. And B, someone did like a, a, a quick business search. And it, w- it was a website and company that did not exist like two months ago. Yeah. So essentially, they used going out of business as a way to get you in to try and sell you their knockoff cheap uh, jackets. And right. it's like, man, capitalism really is dead, isn't it? <laughs> I just want to find a solid product scrolling through this Instagram feed. Even on Amazon. Even on Amazon. I can't even buy stuff on Amazon anymore because like the first 13 things on there are like cheap versions of the same thing. Yeah. And it's like a it's like a, a, a one in three chance that if you buy one of those, it's going to work. The worst thing Amazon did was they consolidated reviews for similar products. Have you ever noticed mm. that where a lot of the, the com- it'll be like, you'll be buying like a, a widget or something and you go and look at the comments. So like, like, Oh, some of these are Chinese widgets. It's like, don't order the ones that have the X on the bottom. If you do, yeah. it's made in China. And it's like, well, what the fuck? Like, how am I supposed to know? They're like, it, it changed in January, 2013, but it might've come back in the past three years. You got to check the X on the bottom. It's like, well, I, I, I don't want you. I just want a unique product page for each thing, so I know whether or not yeah. I'm getting the Chinese widget or I'm getting the I, one made in Mexico. I hate that they that they stack stuff on pages now. Um, like, because if you're trying to if you're trying to buy a movie or something, like I look, you know, I'm looking up a Blu-ray or something. You pull up the movie and you're looking at these reviews, and you don't realize that half the reviews are for either the DVD version or yeah. for the Prime streaming version, or just the and extra then, special edition. Sometimes it's like it's a confusing yeah. mix of everything. Yeah, yeah, and then they give you all like five different options that you're looking at, and it's like, well, I don't know if this is the Blu-ray or the Blu-ray multi-format, which is twenty dollars more expensive for some reason, <laughs> or the other one below that just says Blu-ray but seems to be an English copy. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. No, I know. Anyway, they need they need to they need. How to do the come kids correct. do it? How do the kids buy stuff? Snapchat. I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> I buy all my Blu-rays from Oli Fans. Okay. Uh. uh Thank you very much for supporting the show, guys. Patreon.com slash the Penske Fellow. And as always, our captain tier supporters get a special shout out. Special thanks go to Alec DeWolf, Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Brazen, Cardinal Doomsday, Chris Tinsley, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouth, Darth, uh, Darth Mosk, David Beamore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, Jacob123, Jakey's Gamer, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Rice, Cal Barrett, Mad Courier 6, Matt Cutler, Matt Houston, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Mike Harris, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Ellis, Sammy Custergrim, Santos, Sean, Stefan Minton, Tark Latif, Tom Howells, and Vault 13 Hero. Thank you very much. Whole bunch of new names in there that causes me to lose my uh, my flow. I was spitting fire before this all happened. But thank you very much for joining. Thank you for supporting. Let's go to patron comments. Support the show. You get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read them. Matt Ross says, Breaking the Ice. Another in the vein of Vulcans are arrogant and not as smart as they think they are story. Some actual exploring, but is, uh, is the reason the tactical officer is sent to run a mining drill because he likes blowing things up? The guess who's coming to dinner scene was painfully hilarious and explains Archer's animosity toward the Vulcans. It's even more clear that the Vulcans think humans are children. It's nice to know that not uh, nice to know that we now know where human waste goes and the letters home seemed accurate. The odd part to me is that Hoshi dis- 
uh, decrypted a hidden letter, but didn't translate it. And why did that plan happen in engineering? The whole private conversation about T'Pol's personal life is not so private if you talk on the bridge, right? The ending of Archer realizing that it's best to let go of the past prejudices and break the ice of species and personal relations, as well as to take help when offered, is on full display and sure to come up again. Point X- Yeah, I didn't. I was just going to say, I, I didn't find it weird that she didn't translate it. I mean, clearly. Clearly, she, did, she, she didn't want to involve herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, just that's something you uh, you give to the boss and say you handle this. Right. I, I don't even want right. to know about this. Yeah. Plausible deniability. I really um. One other thing I noticed in this this episode more than anything is they uh they made the productions design their computer monitors are basically just modern computer uh, computer monitors hung on the wall. Oh, I didn't I didn't notice. Yeah, they can like sort of move them out they're on like boom arms and stuff it, it's interesting that they went so primitive with it um point extra g this seems like just a bunch of separate plot lines all thrown together the comet the vulcan captain to paul's marriage and answering the school children's questions that's a really nice scene but it's completely random in the context of the episode it's almost like the comet storyline didn't have enough there on its own so they throw in some other stuff you both mentioned in a previous episode you wanted to see archer develop a bit and i think you get it here to a certain degree he decides to not be above asking the complete jerk of a vulcan captain for help i think it's i think it's the opposite i think the comet stuff is the stuff that was thrown in yeah, right that they needed yeah. something to tie to thread the needle for all the plot lines right there right. i was i mean i I'm of both minds. I would have liked the comet scene to have meant nothing, and I would have liked a Star Trek episode to not have any plot like that whatsoever in it. And I mm, think that that would have sure. been really interesting too. Sure, that seems less likely, though, right? Yes. That's the that's yeah. the keynote of missing all the numbers is to have a a um. How would you even describe that? It's almost like a mumblecore Star Trek episode. It's like <laughs> everything is so small and personal and very unimportant that it's uh, kind of refreshing to watch it. It's like a British drama Star Trek episode. Right. Crikey. That's it. Nick Sergi says, Breaking the ice. Having the crew be amazed by examining something as routine as a comet is a really great prequel idea. But for me, this is like TNG's Life on the Enterprise episodes. Those kinds of episodes are the ones I enjoy rewatching the most. The climax here, where Enterprise Grappler can't get the shuttle out, was nifty looking in terms of special effects. And Archer's lesson in humility is, is effectively done. Much development for T'Pol here that will come back in the fourth season. I do. I I will agree. I think that the uh, special effects in this episode are, look good. Yeah, the comet. Um, the they, ship. Uh, there's a shot of the ship flying over the comet as you're sort of looking mm, up at it. It looks really good. Yeah, they they hold up a lot better than I expected from from a TV show from 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Stefan Minson says, "Not sure what to make of this one. There's barely enough plot to go around, and all the stuff happening on the comet made me want to reach for my phone. There have to be a million ice-related things I can Google that are more interesting than Travis and Malcolm building a snowman." However, there are enough little moments that make the episode quite entertaining. I like the sense of wonder that comes with doing things for the first time. It's hard to imagine the captains of Picard's generation getting that excited about some random ice comet. I also continue enjoy, to enjoy the character moments involving T'Pol. She's by far the most interesting character up until now. I do have to wonder about the choice to portray the Vulcans as a species that couldn't care less about exploring. I understand that they serve to contrast humanity's thirst for exploration, but somehow I always thought that the Vulcans would be interested in the accumulation of knowledge at least. Three personal letters out of five. <laughs> Captain Brazen says, I'm not quite sure if I like this episode or if it's just a cringy-induced mess. Unlike the solid ice comet the ship is following, the plot is watered down and unconnected. The most awkward scene of all is Archer trying really hard to be a gracious host to impress the Vulcan Captain Vanek during dinner, when clearly the Vulcan is annoyed and unimpressed. Although admirable, by this point in his life, Archer should know better than to do something like this. To thine own self be true, man. That being said... <clears throat> 
I did enjoy a few small scenes. I thoroughly enjoyed the crew answering the fourth grader students' questions about exploring space, life on board the Enterprise, and yes, poop. As a teacher myself, it made me smile. Also, Malcolm and Travis enjoying their time building a snowman complete with Vulcan ears is kind of fun. These early exploration scenes make it believable these characters are new to exploring space and are enjoying their job many years before Starfleet becomes more concerned with maintaining borders and treaties like in the era of Kirk and Picard. However, the episode's potential is mishandled with a random assortment of ideas that they needed a more structured plot. A low three poop questions out of five. I did uh, also really like when they're making the snowman and then Archer just radios in and he's like, hey, you know, we could see you. (laughs) Are you warming to Archer at all or do you continue to not like him as a character? Um, This has been my favorite Archer episode so far. Yeah. Um, I think he's got, he still can only make one face. Yep. Uh, but I think this episode was the closest to what I, what I want to see from him. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how it goes moving forward. Yeah. I, um, I don't mind Archer. Like I, I'm not going to rank them or like, but I, I feel that the, like ranking the Star Trek captains is fairly difficult. And like, even if you consider Archer to be the worst captain, it's not like there's a big gulf really to me mm. between him and the other ones. Um, I'll be interested to see where he goes, but I, I think that like out of, all, out of all the actors uh, so far, so we've had uh, Shatner, Stewart and Brooks, right? We haven't seen Mulgrew as Janeway. Do you think that any of those actors could have played the Archer character better than Bakula plays him? Mm. I think Shatner's maybe the only one, but he, yeah. I think he's a little bit too big. Yeah, I think I, I think Shatner is probably the best. Oh well, you know, well, I was gonna say maybe Avery Brooks could do it, but I I don't know. I think Avery Brooks is too. I think early Cisco is the closest you can get to Avery Brooks doing uh archer but even there he can't help himself from going big like the bigness just sneaks out like helium from a balloon yeah but and i think that if if he were to play archer if if brooks were to play archer like cisco i think the bigness is wrong for the character and his reserved manner is wrong for archer like the sure yes yeah so i i don't think that either of those cisco extremes really works for him picard is too nobleman for it really like he's not an everyday American kind of character. Right. I think Frakes could do it. Frakes could do it. Frakes would be yeah. a good one. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah, why he, he would th- be great. <laughs> I wish they had just done that and been like, yeah, Jonathan Archer is actually a descendant of William Riker. That <laughs> makes the finale make a lot more sense <laughs> if that's would, the case. Right. <laughs> or you do that thing, you, you really lay into that whole concept and be like the whole show was William Riker playing Captain Archer in a holodeck thing. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. So I, I I think that Bakula is right for this role. If if this is what Archer is going to be, I think he's a good actor to play that kind of role, I think. Sure. Um, he's not the most powerful actor or the most gravitas of the captains, uh, but I think he fits Archer decently at this point. Um, you know who I think would have played him really well? Ted Danson. Yeah, Danson would be a good character to do it as well. Or a good actor, I mean. Yeah, um, they should have got. They should have put Ted Danson on a starship. He would have been good. Danson would have been good. I'll probably come up with some others. Yeah, but th- there's a certain kind of actor who could fit that role quite well. Um, <laughs> I, can't I don't know why. We, they, 
Go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't believe I n- they never brought back Kelsey Grammer. Grammer. I was just thinking Kelsey Grammer, and I think it might just be because Becca was in um, Men of a Certain Age. I was thinking Ray Romano. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you are, the Endorans. Oh, these grapplers. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Kyle Barrett <laughs> is breaking the ice. First of all, I don't like Star Trek episode titles that are puns. Unless those puns are in Latin or a Shakespearean quote, it just doesn't fit. But as for the actual episode, I enjoy it, and not just because of the hilarious cutaway to Flock smiling goofily when Archer is talking about dating on the ship. Poop jokes and yet another shuttle pod falling into a cavern aside, the episode does a good job of building on the crew's relationships with the Vulcans, including T'Pol. It's neat to see Archer learn something and put the lives of his men above his pride, even if T'Pol has to persuade him that asking the Vulcans for help is actually the more prideful action. All the while, she learns to chart her own path and takes on a human habit. I was enjoying the episode just fine, but the ending really solidified it as above average, a silly final shot of pie not included, but a nice quiet episode that fits with the vibe of early Enterprise. Neil Brennan says, breaking the ice, Neil Brennan from Cole, Cool Mine Community School in County Dublin, Ireland writes, <laughs> why was that letter scene? You know, I was, I was thinking the same thing because there was another, was there another Brennan? Is that what it was? Oh, was there, is that what he's referencing? I, just I thought, think so. Yeah. yeah. Because when it came up, his name was the first one that popped into my head. <laughs> Uh, why was that letter scene so long? Why is it's Trip so long? Why is Trip so boring? And why is Malcolm? Um, the letter scene is I. I will defend that letter scene. I think if like I I I'll, I'll I'm, I'm able to understand criticism of it being long. It's so, just so unique of a scene for a Star Trek show. Like no other series would really have that scene make sense. And I think that it, it's kind of I, interesting disagree and the reason i disagree is because of the way that they do it i don't know if maybe this is just a a modern tv thing but i feel like another show would use that sequence as a framing device for the action of the episode sure so it, it would be like he's reading these questions and during during that sequence they're cutting back and forth to some mission that they went on or yes something. his, his answer somehow... is thematically relevant to the question <clears throat> right. that's being answered. right yeah, yeah. yes that's a better script for that, I think. And I, I think you could build an episode around that. Uh, I, yeah, I still, I still find it kind of charming. It is too, it is too oh, long. I don't, I don't not like it. Yeah. It's, just, it's just so odd. It is odd. And it's, um, it does stick out like a sore thumb from the rest of the episode that it kind of just happens right in the middle. And it's just a hard cut to it, really. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um. Especially, I wish they had. I wish they had cut to Vanek and go being like, "What the hell is he doing?" <laughs> and is this it, some kind of weird code? Because it's a it's an intentional misdirect, right? When it starts up, you think that he's going to be talking about to Paul's letter, right? Was that the sense that you got? Uh, no, I, I didn't no? really get that. Okay, no. I, I thought it was leading towards that. Uh, why is Trip so boring, and why is Malcolm? I like Trip. I think. Um, I think all the characters are kind of boring at this point. Uh, he's not. I, I'm surprised that Neil is focusing on him because I feel that the I feel like Malcolm and Travis are far more boring, and even Hoshi is more boring than Trip at this point to me. <laughs> I did, yeah, I did like Hoshi's where she's going through her thing, and she's like, "Actually, we have a program that does my entire job, <laughs> but sometimes when that program doesn't work, I have to do my job, and when I do." I have like a 45 to 50% success rate, so I think it's going pretty well. 
<laughs> she should raise up her hands at that point and just have stumps instead of her uh, hands yeah. to, to cut off or something. <laughs> Sometimes when you say hands, you can say, take my life. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I don't think that I think that this series so far has been the least successful and it's actually a very modern disco trait where a lot of their jobs are not really important to what they do as characters I think right. like it's kind right. of a halfway ground it's they still do things like Malcolm's security chief and Hoshi does the translating but in a lot of the episodes it's really just their job is just kind of a like a, a character fact about them and it doesn't right, really impact right. how they play into plots a lot of the time yeah yeah but at least they do their jobs at some points they do they're standing there pushing buttons i i do enjoy trip being the guy who like wants to be part of the cool stuff but every time he's included it ends up being bad for him yep yeah unlucky unlucky by nature thank you patrons for writing in about breaking the ice clay on our scale of one to five what are you going to give this episode you know, I, I people might hate me the way that I'm rating this show so far, but mm. I think I'm going to give this a four. Well, all right. I um, I think that my rating, I'm going to give it a three, but my rating does not reflect how much I like it. It's just that I, um, just my criteria is like, would I show this to somebody? And I don't think yeah. so. I think you have to watch all of the previous six episodes. And when you get to this one, it's better because of the previous <laughs> six. I would, I would argue you have to watch the previous six as well as all of Deep Space Nine, <laughs> TNG, and TOS in order to get to this episode and go like, yeah, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I, I would not, this is, would not be on my, well, it's, it's, it's unfair to say this because we're only seven episodes into the series, but if I'm if I'm basing it on just what I've seen so far, yeah, I would choose this one to show someone yeah. over one of, you know, I would probably choose the pilot and this, and I think I have another four on there somewhere. This would be a good second episode, actually, I think. It, yeah, Because it, it builds yeah. off the Vulcan thing very effectively. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... I if if I were to rank the episode so far, this would be my number one, and then uh, unexpected would be, be my two. There, there must be screaming at us at, at how we both were like so middling on the fan favorite Andorian episode, <laughs> but the but the one the one where no nothing happens and they just talk about like their love lives for forty minutes. We're like, oh my god, I've never seen an episode of Star Trek this good. <laughs> Pushing boundaries here, yeah. I, so we go from the Andorian one to where we're kind of like, eh, which involves like Jeffrey Combs invading, is in it. As, yeah. Jeffrey Combs invading alien races, secret underground breweries, and/or surveillance. Vulcans uh, are liars. Things. Yeah, man. Vulcan betrayal, and this one we're actively going. Man, I wish less happened. <laughs> I was disappointed when the comet fell apart. That what a what a disaster. <laughs> they were just sitting there making snowmen, and I was having the time of my life. No, I know. It's weird. I give it the same rating as Andorian, but I definitely prefer this episode to it. It's just, um, I think the difference there is uh, Star Trek as a sense of family or as a listener Tark calls it, friends in space, space friends, mm. basically. That comes across in this episode more than the other ones, I think. And I think that's what yeah. I like about it. Yeah. All right, that's it. Thank you, patrons, for listening. Thank you, or ever listeners, for listening. Thank you, patrons, for supporting the show. Patreon.com slash LipinskiFowl. I give it a three. Clay gives it a four. Uh, that's about it. We're going to be back with more Star Trek after this one. You can check out the show at the, the PenskyPodcast.com. You can go to the YouTube channel. You can go to the PenskyFile.com slash links if you want links to all the social media and stuff like that. Blah, 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 blah. 
I did a commentary track for A Matter of Perspective, which is on the Patreon now, if people are interested in that. So it's me. Uh, There's a video up there of the episode with me talking over it, like a real commentary track, and you can download it and listen to it. People seem to enjoy it. I enjoyed doing it. It's for the season three episode, A Matter of Perspective, which is one of the worst episodes of a great season. Uh, That's why (laughs) I chose it, but it was fun. And I think that's it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, we just had a new episode of Rotten Horror Picture Show come out where we talked about the Canadian cult classic werewolf movie Ginger Snaps, if you want to check that out. Yep. Uh, and we'll have new Batman badass podcasts for you soon. And also, I was going to plug Sean's uh, crowdfunding thing on Indiegogo, but apparently he doesn't need it, apparently. I know. I logged on, I logged on <clears throat> and it was already done, I guess, at that point. Yeah, Although he, I was surprised he, he only he, – he started at 50, so I assume that's intentional, but um, – it quickly went. It quickly went past yeah. 50. He got, got his number in an hour and a half. Yeah. And uh, he's at this at this point, he's not quite at 100,000, but it's I think he's in the 80s somewhere. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to back him, I guess, at this point. That's the, the curse of the the curse of the those things is that like once it goes by it, there's some twinge in me. I'm like, I don't need to support this. Yeah. I, know, I know that's wrong. <laughs> I know that that's like not the, th- the thing that you're supposed to think. But he had his video where he was talking about... Um, he liked Indiegogo, and one of the reasons was that they let you do 60 days instead of 30. And mm. I, was, I was actually surprised by that because I would prefer short and sweet, I think, over... Well, I think I, I was thinking the same thing, but I think the difference between the two platforms is that Indiegogo is not an all-or-nothing thing. Mm-hmm. So they charge the credit cards right away. So... Um, oh, I see. You can just you can leave it up for sixty days, and all it's going to do is generate money for you. So Unless could you everybody... also could you potentially scale down if you don't meet your level? Uh, you know that's a. I think you can. I think they have another function called like flexible goal, mm. where maybe you can. I'm not. I'm not. I've never used it before. I've only used Kickstarter, but um, but yeah. So if whereas Kickstarter, it's an all or nothing thing. So you kind of want you want that sort of like let's all do this together element to it to like push you over yeah, get as done. quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, with, with this one, if you can just, if it's no, if you're not losing anything by, by dragging it out and it's just going to be more opportunity for people to give you money then it may as well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested in seeing analysis of that. Cause I imagine those things are all, if you were to graph them, a U-shape, where it's big at the start and it's big in the last day before oh, yeah. it ends. absolutely, yes. Yeah, yes. so I, I don't know if stretching it out, I assume stretching it out would help some way, but I, I wonder about, I was just surprised by it, basically, is that I wouldn't have thought that that would be my intuitive intuitive sense of how to do it, but he got yeah, it done, I know, so who cares? Yeah, I know with, with Kickstarter, at least, the uh, prevailing uh, strategy is, don't do more than don't do more than thirty days, and some people even do like two weeks. Yep, which is uh, I've seen very, uh, very successful uh, two week campaigns. So it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lot of different variables, you know, going at the same time that that determine what the best way to do it is. So follow Sean's Twitter, and you can find a link to his uh, Indiegogo, or just search Indiegogo Sean Gordon Murphy, and I'm sure that it'll come up as the first thing. It's called the plot holes. The plot holes. Uh, and I will support him uh, when I get off this done recording. I got my credit card right here. So we're done with that. Uh, you can check out Ginger Snaps. The, yep, the full movie's on YouTube. If you don't want to pay for it, it's up and available, and you can watch it. Uh, and then you can watch listen to the podcast after that. And I think that's pretty much it. We're done. Star Trek's over. 
with this episode. Anyway, we're moving on to the next episode, which is called, it's called like Civilization. Am I right? Do I lose cred? Civ 2? It is called Civilization, which is a game I've never played, unfortunately. I know people love it, though. They do. They do. I think we're done. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.